The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. We have for you today an interview with accomplished triathlete Tiencia James. Uh, Tiencia was a distance runner, and then she was looking for a new challenge, so she got into long course triathlon. 
And just a few weeks ago at Ironman Tulsa, she qualified for the Ironman World Championship this fall. She came on the podcast and talked to us a little bit about the path that she followed to qualifying for Kona, about some of her expectations when she gets to Kona, and of course about how she manages to train amidst her very busy life otherwise. So she had a lot of interesting stuff to share, and I'm super excited to share that conversation with all of you. Before I do that, before I hit play on the conversation with Tiencia, I did want to make one quick programming note. I had said a couple of weeks ago that we were going to be discussing our book of the quarter, Bravey by Alexi Pappas, on the 25th of June. Rather, next week on the 25th of June, we're going to be releasing our Tour de France preview episode with Justin and Justin. Uh, And of course, that will also serve as a general overview of the state of cycling in the world right now. So I look forward to releasing that podcast with Justin and Justin, and I look forward to interacting with all of you about cycling and about the Tour de France, which starts the next day, which starts next Saturday, the 26th of June. We're going to push back our conversation about Bravey until the 2nd of July, um, and we will look forward to having that conversation then. But today, we are going to be talking with Tiencia James. And as I said, I'm really excited to share this with you. So without further ado... Here's our interview with Tiencia. We have with us Tiencia James, Ironman World Championship Qualifier. Congratulations and welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here. Um, we really appreciate your being here and I'm, I'm excited to hear about your qualifying race. I'm excited to hear about your training. I'm excited to hear about your goals for Kona and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but first, I think we should probably just start by talking about you as an athlete. Um, how did you come to be a triathlete, um, and particularly a triathlete who's as accomplished enough to be able to qualify for Kona? You know, I started a long time ago as a distance runner. Um, my father used to run all the time, and as far back as elementary school, we would get up in the morning and run together. And so I did that throughout high school and a little bit through college. And then um, after I had two of my kids, I have three kids now. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of got on the marathon routes. I did Boston Marathon and a couple of other ones, and I really wanted something new and different. And that's mm-hmm. when I stumbled into triathlon. Very good. Very good. What made you want something new and different? I mean, you've been doing running for so long. Why not stick with running? You know, I think it's one of those things that when you're doing something for a really long time, you kind of reach a, a peak and plateau. Mm-hmm. You're doing things that are very um, similar over and over again. And it was kind of like that challenge. The fun thing for me about triathlon was that I wasn't a good swimmer. Um, I didn't know how to ride the bike. I didn't know how to use clip and shoes. So every workout was, was kind of an accomplishment. And that's really fun to be able to do that. It's really fun. But if you're a super accomplished runner, it can also be really frustrating, right? And I'm totally saying this from my own point of view, by the way. <laughs> a runner that then got into triathlon and, and having to learn to swim, for example, that's that was a pride-swallowing, very painstaking experience for me. I mean, did you have the same experience? Yeah, I mean, to, to this day, the swim is probably my, my weakest section. But I would say probably over the last couple of years, I've become most excited about it because it is where I have the biggest chance for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that part's kind of fun when you've been doing something for a really long time, um, you're probably, you can put in extra miles, extra hours for, for just a one or 2% improvement. Um, when you're not very good at something, the gains are humongous and, and that's very encouraging. 
So I hear you on that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Very good. And so today, do you still do like mostly running or do you still do some running races, entirely solely running races in addition to triathlons? Or are you just completely giving yourself over and you are a TNC of the triathlete? <laughs> you know, I've become more of the triathlete, but I do do um, freestanding races. But most of the time it's as training as right. opposed to me peaking for a race. So I've done, you know, the um, Publix half marathon for the last few years. I've done the Peachtree Road Race. Um, other local races, but more as a training. Gotcha. Very good. Was it was it difficult? And I'm again, I'm coming from my own point of view here because because I, I followed a very similar path to you. Uh, I, I've now gone back to being a runner. I've gone back away from triathlon and back to being a runner. Um, but but was coming to grips with being Tiencia the triathlete rather than Tiencia the runner. Was that like was 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 there a change that had to take place in your mind regarding your self image? I wouldn't say necessarily a change in self-image. I think because I was a distance runner, um, you know, there is kind of a fine line between ultra endurance athletes. Um, you see a lot of marathoners who go to ultra runs, who go to triathlons. So, you know, the personalities and the people that you interact with were very similar to what I had been doing. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. Um, so when did you make that transition then from being Tiencia the runner to Tiencia the full-time triathlete, not just dabbling in it, but okay, I'm going to do this. And because you, you qualified several times, I know for the 70.3 world championships prior to your qualifying for, for Kona just a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. So I, I started off triathlon in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of the beginning. I went and I, I got my coach. I kind of did it backwards. I decided I wanted to do a full Ironman. I hadn't even had a bike. I hadn't been in the pool since high school. And, and then I found my coach. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we kind of had to work backwards to kind of get me ready for this race. But 2014 was when I really started to um, do the sprints and the Olympic triathlons and get ready for the big one. Gotcha. Very good. And what was your, what was your first Ironman there? Um, so my first iron distance was the Great Floridian. Okay. Um, so I did that one in 2014 and then mm -hmm. I did Ironman Chattanooga in 2015. Right. Right. And that was the very first year of Ironman Chattanooga, right? Um, yeah. And that was, and that, that I, I joke sometimes that that was the fastest day in Ironman history, but <laughs> the river was running so fast and the weather oh, yeah. was forecast and it was drizzly during the run and everything. So yeah, I sometimes joke about that, but, but yeah, that was a, that was a nice day to do an Ironman, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was so nice that it actually convinced me to sign up the following year, which if, if you recall, that was the year it was 90 something degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they haven't had another day like that. I was yeah, like, what am I sure. doing? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I might be actually thinking about the 2014 Chattanooga, but, but, um, but one way or another, there was, there was one year along there where the weather was super, super nice. And, and yeah, and then I think people got spoiled and started thinking, oh, well, Chattanooga is always going to be super nice. And it really hasn't been that nice since then. <laughs> yeah. So, very good. Very good. Who's your coach? Um, so Haley Chur is my coach. She's also a professional triathlete and um, she's, she's amazing. Um, I think podcast. Yeah. We've had Haley on before. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Everybody, you know, you have to find a coach that fits your personality and, you know, my husband's military. So, you know, he would like someone to yell at him, um, but <laughs> I have other stress in my life, you know, working in the emergency department, dealing with kids, triathlon is really an escape for me. So we mesh together because she's such like a cheerleader, um, mm -hmm. encouraging. She doesn't make it a stressful part of my life. And so yeah. um, we've been together ever since. 
Right on. Very good. And so she actually was your first coach. She started coaching you in 2014. Yep. yep. Very good. How did you, um, how did you, how'd you find her? Um, Cause I know that she was just kind of getting into the coaching game at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually found Dynamo Multisports first mm-hmm. and as superficial yeah. as it sounds, <laughs> I was Googling different triathlon clubs and things mm-hmm. locally to me. Cause I'm in Snellville, Georgia and my mm-hmm. favorite color is green. and I was like you know what let me check these people out and then um Matt who was the the head of it at the time he um was from Stanford and I went to Stanford for undergrad there you go so so just you know out of that I decided to go check them out and he's the one who referred Haley to me and when we got on the phone I was like yep this is the perfect person for me cool very good Matthew was my coach for a while Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the last time that I did Kona in 2014, he coached me for that. Um, and then of course I was, I was close to Maria Thrash, who was the head swim coach. There. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I want to say, when did, when was the first time you went to masters at Dynamo? I believe I went that first year, um, mm-hmm. because I went swimming with them and then I went to some of the training camps. So 2014, 2015, yeah. So the day that your first day of going to masters, you shared a lane with somebody, somebody <laughs> was, was me. Um, and I don't know if you remember that or not, but I remember it. <laughs> I was so scared my first day of masters. <laughs> so, so, well, I, I remember it well, because I actually remember that, that you and I are both in the, uh, in the Facebook group, the black triathletes uh, Facebook group. Oh yeah. Yeah. You posted in that Facebook group, went to my first day of masters today and it was super scary, but I did it. And that's, that's such a supportive group. Um, and I, and I really appreciate that about that group. And they were all like, where to go? You did it. Um, and, and I was like, hey, I was in the lane with her and I hadn't realized that it was your first day. You look like a pro. So I had, I had no idea it was your first day until I actually saw it on that Facebook group. Definitely felt like a fish out of water. Hey, right on, right on. But you're clearly, I mean, like you said, you've clearly improved a lot in the swim over the course of the last little while. And, and, and you, you hired a swimmer or somebody with a swimming background to, to be your coach. Was that intentional given that you were a runner? Um, I was definitely inspired by Haley in general story and her being a swimmer. Um, I don't know that that was the reason why I selected her, but it definitely does help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that she has that, that um, strength um, that she can, you know, explain why I'm doing certain things and, and how to get my stroke better. Right on. Very good. Very good. Um, very good. Good to hear. Well, so, so 2014, did you have immediate success or, or was it, was it something that, that it took you a little while to get the hang of? Uh, you know, I guess it depends on how you define success. Um, coming from a running background. Like I said, I did the Boston Marathon. Um, I had become a pretty good runner. I mean, I wasn't elite by any stretch of the imagination, but when I did the great Floridian, as you know, long distance triathlon is a totally different ball game. Mm -hmm. And Haley was telling me the paces that I needed to stick to on my run. And I was listening to her and thinking in my head, oh, this is ridiculous. I can run much faster than that. And so of course I go through the race, I get off the bike and I'm clipping away, you know, doing eight minute miles, which after doing Boston marathon, wasn't really that fast to me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand what the big deal was until I got to mile 16 on the marathon. And all of a sudden I couldn't run anymore. I could barely Mm -hmm. walk. I was getting low clap from people along the course. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And I really started to respect, I think the sport and, and just endurance athletes in general. So 
Um, I did finish second in that race, but, you know, in terms of what I went there doing and, and how my race degenerated at the end, um, <laughs> it was kind of a spectacular explosion. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us have that experience in our first Ironman, particularly if we've had some measure of success in one of the other three disciplines. Yeah. And we think, oh, yeah, no, it's exactly the same. So how was... um. I get, how was your transition to nutrition? Was that something that, because I found that a lot of times when, when runners go directly from running to long course triathlon, or even just to, to long bike rides, they struggle with nutrition because we're not accustomed as runners to, to taking in all of that stuff. Um, how yeah. was that transition for you? No, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, I had the best coach telling me exactly what I needed to do, but as you're out there in the moment, you know, it's not something that we normally need. You drink a little bit of Gatorade, drink a little fluids and you're fine, but it will come to hunt you, you know, 10 hours, nine hours yeah. into the race. So I don't know that I've even perfected it. I keep experimenting and I think I'm getting a little bit better of forcing things down when I don't feel like I need it at the moment. Right on. Um, so you're a doctor, um, you're a physician in the ER, right? Correct. So, so very cool. And of course you have three kids and we're going to talk about how you balance all of that here in just a minute, but you just mentioned experimenting. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder your, your background as a physician. And, and so by extension, your background in science, uh, mm -hmm. does that kind of lend to experimentation and does that help you in some of your training? Maybe. I think it definitely helps in the training. It definitely helps not buying into a, a lot of fluff out there. I think there's a, a lot of, things that are to athletes that aren't really based in science. Mm -hmm. um, so having that knowledge is, is definitely useful. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I think even, even with just with training, I mean, almost like what you said just a while ago about why you got out of running, you kind of got to this place and you wanted to do new things and different things and explore new frontiers. Um, if we can say it in a really kind of you know dramatic way. Um, and I think that maybe that's, that's related to, to the mindset that a scientist has. Yeah. So very good. Very cool. Um, well, let's talk about that then. So since, since I just alluded to it, three kids and, and you're an ER physician, and of course you're a long course triathlete, which requires, and, and you're, you're a, a high level long course triathlete. So it's not like you're knocking this out, um, and just barely finishing by doing, you know, four hours worth of training a week. I mean, you're training lots and lots of hours every week, particularly during your peak Ironman training weeks. How do you, how do you balance all that? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of different techniques, but, um, you know, when people say balance, a lot of times you think it's a state of existing and I don't really feel that to be the case. I almost think of it as someone walking on a tightrope. You're never quite balanced. You're always moving to one side and then correcting mm -hmm. yourself. So, um, that's kind of how my, my year goes when I'm building up for a big race you know, I will take a lot more time to do some of the longer workouts. And then once I do the race, I may, you know, do more things with the kids. And right. so, you know, you're constantly going back and forth. But in terms of how I make it work, I have a very, very supportive husband <laughs> who, who doesn't mind dragging the kids from one place to another. He doesn't mind me disappearing for four or five hours to do a workout. And being an ER physician, I think it definitely has its challenges. But the good thing is I'm not on a regular schedule. So um, I have Tuesday afternoons sometimes off and the kids are at school, my husband's at work and I'm just here so I can get up and go do a workout, you know, um, 
the downside of that is that I do work nights, weekends, and holidays, and a lot of times can't hook up with people on weekends for group rides, but it does have its advantages. And your, and your coach, Haley, is probably super helpful with that sort of thing, right? Because I feel like a lot of times when, when I work with adults um, or when, when I coach adults, as opposed to like when I used to coach high schoolers, high schoolers have the same time every single day for practice. Mm-hmm. And so, so you can kind of get into this routine where it's just like Monday, you do this, Tuesday, you do this, Wednesday, you do this. Whereas with a lot of adults, particularly ones like you who don't work a regular schedule, it's like, okay, I have next Tuesday afternoon off. And so you're going to do a four hour bike ride on a Tuesday afternoon. And that's like something I would never give one of my athletes have like a regular schedule. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I have a guy that I'm coaching right now. Who's a, who's a preacher. And so he's a youth minister. And so he doesn't do anything on the weekends. And he, okay. so he does his longest workouts on Thursdays, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, is, I guess, and so I guess that's a long way of getting to the question. Is, is that something that you feel like it's been really valuable thing to have a coach then? Oh, definitely. I mean, when I um, talk to Haley, I actually send her my work schedule <laughs> so she can do her yeah. workouts around it over you know, the years I've learned, no matter how motivated I am, nothing really good happens after a night shift. So <laughs> now when I have a night shift, it's always a rest day or easy spin or easy run. Um, and so, you know, you get to learn when you're most productive and when you have the most energy. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, but it still takes, it still takes a lot of discipline, I imagine, to, to be like Tuesday afternoon, here's my time. Nobody else is out there doing this on Tuesday afternoon, right? Yeah. Uh, do, 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 you, do you ever get, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying, do you ever get lonely? Do you ever wish you could train more recruits? You know, it. there's a, a good part of training by yourself. Um, a lot of Ironman, you are kind of in your own headspace. Um, you know, you're by yourself on the bike. And, and so I think getting used to that in training is very helpful of just being able to kind of keep yourself going with your own thoughts. Um, but I do have training partners. I got a dog after 2018 for the sole purpose of having someone to run with. And his name is Pacer. <laughs> and so I, I do most of my, you know, non-technical runs with him. And so that's kind of cool. And I've recently linked up with some um, bikers um, and the leaders of the group are retired. So they bike every day of the week. And so, you know, there's always someone on a Tuesday afternoon or Thursday that I could meet with, but my schedule is usually the limiting factor of me finding people. Yeah. 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 I, I, I sympathize. I can appreciate that. So very good. All right. So Grand Floridian back in 2014, it did go well, but you still finished second. Um, yeah. Did you immediately start thinking about Kona or were you already thinking about Kona before you even got into triathlon? Like, when did you start to say, Qualifying for Kona, that's a goal. Um, you know, I think probably maybe towards my second or third year, and and really Haley was the one who was talking about it probably before I did. Mm-hmm. I always joke and say doing an Ironman is kind of like having a baby. Right mm-hmm. at the end, you swear you're never going to do it again. Like, <laughs> this is so painful. This is not worth it. Everybody is crazy. And then about a couple of weeks after the race, you're already trying to figure out yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. next. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And so, so, so it was her idea. She started saying, this is something to look at. Did she have to kind of convince you of that or, or, or what? No, I mean, I guess I just didn't know realistically if it's something that, that I could do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was something that was always out there, but, you know, in all honesty, I think after the first or second year of doing triathlon, 
got more into the journey and the process and whatever happened at the end was was not really my main focus. Um, I mean, I worked really hard, but I had a lot of fun. We've gone all over the world traveling, <laughs> doing camps and races. I mean, it, it's really been a spectacular journey. Cool. Because, yeah, you, you've done the world. I mentioned before, you've done the 70.3 World Championships a couple of times. Where where all have you done them? Because that, cause that one moves from place to place. Yeah, that one moved from place to place. So I did Australia um, and South Africa and Nice. And then cool. in, in between that was local, was Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also did training camps. So I done um, two swim training camps with effortless swimming in Thailand. Cool. And then I did a bike camp with custom cycling coaching in Spain. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Very cool. Were you going, like up the big climbs and stuff in Spain that you see in the oh. Spain and stuff? Oh, yeah, it was it was terrifying. My main um, focus of going there was to really get better descending. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like scientists out there. Actually, the coach that was doing it, Tom Kirk, he's PhD. But mm-hmm. um, how they descend and pick lines is just amazing and terrifying uh, but mm-hmm. definitely got more comfortable and I think after Nice uh, <laughs> anybody who did Nice if you weren't a descender probably has worked on it since that race really because yeah. is that a technical descent during the race oh my gosh that had such a technical descent I mean I probably break the whole half of the bike <laughs> we had all sorts of war stories at the end of that course if you weren't comfortable flying down a mountain at you know 30 40 miles an hour <laughs> Interesting. All right. So that actually segues really well into the next thing I wanted to ask you. So, so when you saw that, that Kona was a goal, when Mm -hmm. you said, okay, this is something I can do. And then you sort of looked at where you were. Mm -hmm. um, What did you say you needed to work on? Like, how did you change or did you change any of your training in order to say, this is something I specifically need to do in order to get better? Because like you said, after you went to Nice, you're like, okay, I need to become a better descender. Um, but then were there things that when you said, okay, I, I want to go to Kona, I need to get better at certain things. Were there, th- were there those things or you just kind of keep on doing what you were doing? I mean, I think those things still exist. Like I definitely need to improve my swim and my cycling. And I think the biggest um, kind of awe moment for me is especially coming from a background of running. I keep thinking, oh, well, I'm going to get faster in the run. But so much of your run depends on your bike strength oh, and yeah. your nutrition and the swimming, which, you know, as a runner, it's easy to kind of put those under the rug. So I really started focusing on that part. And that was when I first started to be able to run under a four hour marathon, which is key. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Yeah. No, one one of the biggest lessons I learned after my first Ironman was that you, that it's important to be able to run obviously, but you, but it's more important to be able to, to bike well. Yes. Uh, that, that, that it doesn't matter how well you can run if you get off the bike tired, um, right. you, you bike too hard or because you didn't have enough bike fitness to be able to, to ride 112 miles at a certain intensity without completely wiping yourself out. Uh, yeah. so, so yeah, that was, that was, that was probably the first really big, that's, that, that was the, one of the really big takeaways from my very first Ironman back in 2011. So, so yeah, that's certainly something I can appreciate. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, so you, you've gone to, to the camps to, to, to learn descending. You have plenty of experience in all of these, uh, these, these different uh, places. How many Ironmans have you done now? So you did Grand Floridians. That was an iron distance. And, yeah. and how many other iron distance or Ironman triathlons have you done since then? 
Uh, I did Ironman Chattanooga twice. Um, okay. I did Ironman Texas twice, Ironman Lake Placid, and mm-hmm. then Tulsa. Okay. And so, yeah. so Tulsa was number, was number seven for you then? Yes. Um, and Tulsa is where you qualified? Yes. <laughs> All right, cool. So, so take us through Ironman Tulsa. Tell us about race day and, and how it went and what went well. And, and uh, because I heard it was a hot day. I heard that the, uh, the roads were not great condition. I know it was the first time they'd ever offered Ironman Tulsa. And so there's always a couple of little logistical glitches with that sort of thing. Of course, we're still on the tail end, hopefully on what is the tail end of, of uh, pandemic. Uh, stuff. Um, and so just kind of take us through Ironman Tulsa and tell us a little bit about what that day was like and, and how it went. Uh, I mean, I think just getting there, there was definitely an air of just gratitude. Um, you know, this has been a rough everybody a lot of us have not raced a lot and just starting with the plane ride you know there was a bunch of other athletes on the plane so I I think just the mood a lot of other Ironmans you get to and there's a lot of nerves I felt like everybody was just happy to to be there and supportive of each other which was really nice um Tulsa itself I'd never been there before and you know I looked at the temperature predictions and the weather predictions it actually ended up being very drizzly rainy kind of overcast which I think was helpful. Um, it, you know, it wasn't 89 degrees and hot, but it was very humid. Um, the swim I thought uh, was great. It was probably, you know, a great swim for me. I like swims where you have plenty of room. So it was uh, in the lake, um, plenty of space. The only thing that was a little confusing about the swim is they had all these buoys. And usually when you see a red buoy, you think that's when you turn. Right. So you would swim one buoy to the next buoy and then you get to the red buoy and then there's another orange buoy. And at a certain <laughs> point, you didn't know like how far do I have to go? Like <laughs> yeah. when is the swim going to be over? But um, the swim was fairly um, uneventful. I thought it was very good. There was no significant chop in the water. Um, I had a good swim. The bike was probably <laughs> the thing you'll hear the most about. Um, the road surface, well, there was just so many potholes. Um, especially in the uh, beginning part of it. And then there were sections where you had to go downhill and there were turns and then it rained. And Mm -hmm. I I can't fault them or hold them accountable for the rain, but to me, it felt more like an obstacle course than Mm -hmm. uh, a bike race. You were constantly dodging potholes or other people's bottles or CO2 cartridges. I mean, things were just flying off bikes (laughs) left and right. I mean, you felt bad. You'd see people on the side, a lot of mechanicals, there were Mm -hmm. crashes. So for me, my main focus on the bike was was to be safe. Usually I'm one of those people who I kind of overbike and I get really excited because that's the one part of the Ironman where you feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely was trying to be safe and, and make sure I kept my effort under control. Um, so the bike part was, was very challenging. I would say that was probably one of the, the tougher bikes because of the elements and the road surface that I've done in all the other Ironmans. I'm okay with hills, but when you start to have slick surfaces, yeah. Um, yeah. And then once you got to the run, there's this uh, path that you run on. They said it's flat, but there's actually maybe one or two hills that you have to keep going um, back on. But I was really impressed, especially coming out of the pandemic, of just the support. I mean, mm-hmm. there were people everywhere screaming at you, you know, during the whole uh, run course, which was which was really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the run, it, it went down by, did it go down by the lake, the same lake that you swam in? Because I, I know it was like a, 
It was like, it's, it's a, like a, a, a lake or river. I think it's actually a okay. river. Yeah. So okay. it's in a totally different section. It's kind of a okay. point to point race. Okay. Oh, okay. I got you. Very good. Yeah. And then, then how many laps did you do? Was it, was it, was it sort of two loops on the run or was it three or? Yeah, it was two loops. So it was nice because, you know, the whole loop, there were people the whole way. I don't remember any section where there weren't people, but then you could see the other athletes and cheer for each other as you passed going by. So um, mm-hmm. that was really nice. Very good. Yeah. That's sort of uh, Ironman brand is, is sort of two loops not quite an out and back, but sort of an out and back. So, so yeah, most Ironman races tend to kind of, kind of follow that formula. Um, so, which, like you said, I think it works fine because you, you end up getting to see lots of people over and over and over again. And uh, whether you're competing against them or, or cheering for them, I think that's probably helpful. So very good. And then you cross the finish line. Yes. <laughs> now, now, did you know you had qualified for Kona when you crossed the finish line? No, I, you know, I had no idea. I had people who were on the course cheering for me. And, you know, as you're running by people, they're saying, okay, you got to speed up. Somebody's a, a minute and a half ahead of you. And obviously when you're dying, that means nothing to you. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, I have all this extra energy. I just wasn't using. Yeah, <laughs> so no. now let me use it. <laughs> so, I mean, I was so happy to finish. Um, I mean, those last four or five miles were, were hard. Um, for, for multiple different reasons, but yeah, I had no idea. I knew that I had a shot. I just didn't know what it was. And Mm -hmm. I hadn't done all the research ahead of time to see, you know, how many people I needed to be. Mm -hmm. And then because of Kona, um, there was no body markings. So there's no way really even to tell if the person in front of you or behind you was in your age group or or not, you just kind of went out there and you ran your race. I see. Okay. Yeah. That, that I, I, I didn't realize they weren't doing body markings because of COVID. So, um, but yeah, that, that would definitely change the, the nature of it. Right. Cause you can't yeah. age on their calf anymore. So <laughs> it was like looking at people as you pass them, I don't know, she looks about my age. So, so very cool. So, so you cross the finish line, uh, you get your family and you didn't know, but you didn't know even like right then. Right. Yeah. It was actually, it was a long time before I, I figured out. So because it was a championship race, we had mm. um, more spots than the normal race. I think my age group got seven, um, but they didn't do the award ceremony like they normally would because of COVID. So right. you basically went home and then you waited to see if there was an email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that email wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't in your inbox when you got home. <laughs> It wasn't in my inbox. And then um, it was a holiday weekend. So the 31st was a holiday. So we thought we were going to get it that day and we didn't. And so I'm thinking, oh man, well, maybe there was an error with the you know results. Maybe someone got misclassified or whatever. So yeah, it was a bunch of texting people back and forth and figuring out if it was true or not. Yeah. yeah. And right on. But then you got the email. Then I got the email and um, that that's when it became real. So what was that like? I mean, that was just, it, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those things when you've been building up for a, a really long time, it takes you a while to even realize that, wow, I actually made it. Um, Cause I had a pretty close call in Ironman, Florida, which was a couple of years ago. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was just, you know, it's, it's, especially after this year and you know, what we've all been through, it, it's just an awesome way to come out of things. Right on. Very good. What'd your coach say? What'd Haley say? Oh my gosh. I think Haley was crying. Betty was crying. Everybody was. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think I think we've all been on the journey together, so I, I'm sure it means just the same for all of us. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. I have said many, many times on this podcast that Kona lives up to the hype. It's a it's a neat race. Um, I mean, it's hard, um, but but it feels like a world championship race. It has all the lore around it. It's the center of the triathlon universe that week. Um, and it's cool to be there with your bracelet on saying that you're a competitor. So, so congratulations. I, I, I look forward to, to hearing about it when you do it. Uh, Thank you. Do you have uh, do you have specific goals for Kona or, or what are you, what are you thinking about when you think about it? Or are you even thinking about it yet? Are you still uh, balancing back out with all those other things post Ironman here? No, no, I'm thinking about it. I already got my Airbnb. And so bringing the whole family down. But yeah, I have a lot of process goals. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know it's going to be hot and humid and a tough race. So I'm not really holding on to, you know, getting my best time. Mm -hmm. I really would like to improve my swim. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm focusing a lot on technique. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get fit to the point where I could have a, a good run, marathon run. Mm-hmm. And for me, a good marathon run is not necessarily a time, but a marathon where I'm not having to walk yeah. and where there's not a dramatic decline in the last right. five miles of more than like two minutes off of your pace. Right, right. And, and where you, you're going up that last hill around mile 25 and you see people in front of you, you can catch them, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, so I, I, I definitely I definitely think there's there's lots of ways, particularly in an Ironman triathlon, to, to gauge a successful experience or a successful race without looking at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a smart thing to do in, in Kona because Kona is definitely a slower course than Florida that you mentioned. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so but 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 I know that you'll enjoy it. Um, and so so speaking of the black triathletes group, I mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, I saw a post in there from another person that you and I both swam with at, at Dynamo before, Chris Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that that you were the first African-American woman to qualify for Kona. Is that right? Uh, you know, that's what everybody is saying. I haven't done my own personal research. I, I think people are kind of more into it in, on that level than I am. But that's what I've heard. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different ways to get into Kona. Um mm-hmm. But, but yeah, if that's true, I'm, I'm very excited to be that person. That's super cool. Um, and, and so even, even if you're, if you're not, even if there's one or two other African-American women who have qualified in front of you, I mean, Kona has been going on now for, uh, more than or about 40 years. Um, and there's only been a handful at most of African-American women, uh, I don't know exactly what question I want to ask you about that, <laughs> but, but I mean, so I, I guess maybe the question is, what is it, what is it like for you as an African-American woman in a sport where there's not a whole lot of African-American women? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud to be that person. And honestly, I, I hope that there are a lot more behind me um, in any sport or anything in general, you know, it's really hard to see yourself in a certain position and to be successful if you anybody who looks like you before, you know, we'll probably see a lot more Asian basketball players, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I think it's great. I think it's great. Um, When I joined the Black Triathletes Association, which is uh, basically a a Facebook support group, but then we meet in person at these races. um, It's, it's really nice because when you're first starting out, you do feel kind of like you don't belong in, in certain 
um, category. So um, to just have that support, to have other people there is just amazing. And I think, you know, the support that I've gotten, not only within the Black Triathletes Association, but also outside of it has just been amazing. Very good. Awesome. Um, yeah, representation matters. Um, and so, so I, I'm, I'm really glad that you are, you are helping create some representation for, for girls who look like you. Um, yeah. They can look up and see that, that Kona is something that, that African-American women can do. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm excited about that. And I appreciate your playing that role. Um, very good. Very good. All right. I got two more questions for you and they're both kind of random. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first one, you mentioned that green was your favorite color and that's the reason why you gravitated dynamo. I presume that your bike is green. Uh, I'm just going to make that presumption, right? Green and black. Green and black. There you go. Very good. So, so, well, that's good because, because it's green is that your favorite color and black is the fastest color. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then isn't your arrow helmet doesn't it have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle on it. So my original arrow helmet, which I still have, is kind of a trophy piece, which I probably okay. wore for the first three years or so, um, is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Um, <laughs> and it, it kind of has two backstories. If anybody knows me, I love animals. And if you come to my house, it's almost like, you know, a, a mini zoo here. Um, I probably spend more money on my turtles than my actual kids. So I, I have a bunch of water turtles at home. And then the second part of the whole turtle helmet was because slow, uh, swimming has always been the weakest leg for me. Um, everybody who comes out to cheer, they would see me get out of the, the water in the back half of the pack and then just catch up with people throughout the race. So it's kind of like a, a turtle from right behind. On. So, so awesome. I just embraced it. Awesome. <laughs> and Very you get a good. lot of cheers from all the kids on the course. I think that's great. Um, when I, um, when I went to, to Kona the second time, I, well, okay. So, so I should back up a little bit. One of the things I often do for big races is I put on temporary tattoos. Oh, okay. And, and they, and they tend to represent different important things in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I went to Kona the first time, I actually had printed on the kit that I wore. I had printed different icons to represent the different people in my family and stuff that were super supportive ah. for me. Um, and so I, I, I get that having these sort of subtle or not so subtle nods in your kit and in your equipment to to experiences in your life and people in your life. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's it makes it fun. for sure. For sure. Definitely makes it a lot more fun. Um, all right. So the other question I was going to ask, um, and I was actually thinking about when I asked this question to Haley on this podcast a couple of years ago, and I can tell you her answer if you want, but, um, but what's your favorite workout? And so since we're talking about triathlon, you have to give me a swim, a bike and a run. Ooh. Okay. Um, I guess in terms of the swim, gosh, the swim hasn't been my favorite for. <laughs> it's nobody's <a> favorite. <laughs> I talk all kinds of trash about swimming on this podcast. You have to understand, but yet I put swimming actually back onto my, my own personal training schedule this week. I'm going for a swim tomorrow for the first time in years. Oh, wow. I have yep. no doubt that swimming is a really good and healthy and positive thing. And I think it's going to make me ultimately a faster runner, but. I mean, the, the swim workout that I tend to like the best is actually the open water swims. Um, okay. I go to Lake Lanier a lot and she'll mm -hmm. give me these workouts where you will swim from one buoy to the next because it's a particular course mm -hmm. and you do the first one as warm up and then you'll alternate doing two minutes uh, moderate, two minutes hard and two mm -hmm. minutes easy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that there's no number to justify if it was a good or bad effort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you're out there in the sun and the scenery. So that's, that's mm-hmm. a good one for me. I get that. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes, um, we need a break from the numbers. Yeah. And there's definitely a lot of workouts I've done over the course of the past few years that I've done them in part because they were less specific. They were still really hard workouts, but weren't like you said, it wasn't like do a 25 at this particular pace. And if you miss it by a second, well, you've done the workout. Um, you know, it didn't have that feel. Um, so very good. I get it. I get it. Biking, what's your favorite cycling workout? Um, so my favorite cycling workout, I like doing the cycling outside. Um, and so I, I kind of like the longer efforts and on our longer bike rides, it's not as specific. Usually it will end up being something like four or five hours and there'll be a, probably about an hour period where you're at race pace in terms of power. Um, and so that's always a, a really good one, a, a good mental workout, I would say, because 90% of them I've done alone. And so to just go on a random course by yourself and, and knock out five hours with a one hour interval of your half Ironman to Ironman power is a pretty good workout. All right. Very good. And finally, what's your favorite run workout? Uh, my favorite? Since, since, you, since you were a runner for a long time and now you're a triathlete, you're welcome to give like a couple of different ones for this one if you want. <laughs> yes. Um, so my, my favorite run workouts are usually the runs that are about an hour long. Um, with intervals. Um, and that ranges from, you know, hill intervals to three minute sort of um, efforts where mm-hmm. you're, you're going hard and then you back off into a, a regular pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that work. And I think it's really good for uh, getting your heart rate up and then settling mm-hmm. back down and being able to keep going forward. Um, and so that's a good one. And then I always also like just the steady continuous runs more because mm-hmm. I run with my dog. Mm-hmm. And so he's good for about 12 miles. Okay. And so as long as there's not anything specific, we'll, we'll go and run together. And so that's a good one too. And then I'll say probably a close third um, is treadmill. Mm-hmm. I, I never really thought I would like the treadmill a lot, but it's an easy place to get some fast intervals. Mm-hmm. So workouts, I haven't done it in a while, but um, where you're on the treadmill and you're doing about an hour, but you'll start doing um, um, increasing time periods at a faster pace. So for me, maybe it'd be a 6.30 or 35, which is a pace I'd never run the Ironman, but it's pretty fast. And um, you do those intervals and then you come back to a, a easy pace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it seems like you like the workouts both in bike and in running where, where you do what I, what I call floating in between in the rest. Like you, you don't, you never back entirely off and like shuffle through the rest. Instead, you pick it up and then you come back to like a float pace um, and then you kind of speed up and then you come back to a float pace. You're never, you're never backing entirely off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's important in racing in general. I think when I first started to do Ironman, when you get to the point where your heart rate's elevated, there's a certain Mm -hmm. amount of panic and that you can't keep going on. And then as you do more of these workouts, you start to learn how to recover. So you can Mm -hmm. go up a hill and get yourself back to an aerobic pace, or you mm-hmm. can do a sprint to pass someone on the bike and not get a drafting penalty. And you mm-hmm. can get back to an aerobic pace, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Right on. Very good. Very good. Uh, Tiencia James, Dr. Tiencia James, we appreciate you being on the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. 
Well, thank you very much. It's been great to be here. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's SlayRx.com, Facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.